From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we're looking at grocery store obsessions and how brands across the country turn shoppers into loyal fans. Yeah, and then we're going to get into the biggest stories of the week from a questionable new poutine to a little too much intimacy in credit card transactions at restaurants to chicken parm bros. I bet you want to know what that is. And uh, some shakeups in the big milk industry. Before we get started today, we need your help. Have you ever had a Thanksgiving mishap? Like a kitchen catching on fire or a badly behaved relative? We want to hear about it because we are putting an episode together about Thanksgiving disasters. So if you have a disaster, record a voice memo on your phone in a quiet room and email it to us at digest at eater.com and you will be included in our episode. Now, let's uh, let's talk about some grocery stores. So Daniel, we want to talk about why people stand for grocery stores in what general. What is standing? Standing, like being super fan, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's from the Eminem song. So mm-hmm. we brought in our colleague Jaya to... She's covered groceries and the phenomenon of people being obsessed with grocery stores. Jaya, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Why do people get obsessed with their grocery store? Mainly when I was interviewing people, I got a lot of people saying that the act of grocery shopping can be something very calming. It's something that you do pretty often. It's something that provides you with like literal nourishment, you know, the thing you need to survive. So I think it's really easy to sort of latch onto that. And then also it's a matter of if you're not shopping at a truly national chain, there are little things you get attached to, whether Mm -hmm. it's the store brand of something that was really comforting to you. You know, people go nuts over public subs, over the the cookies at HEB, over the cafes at Wegmans, as you know, we sort of saw in Brooklyn when Wegmans opened up. There's sort of these little differences between different grocery stores that people apply sort of a lot of meaning to, which is understandable because ultimately the experience of grocery shopping varies really only by price point and availability of certain types of Mm. produce and and meat and things like that. But it's pretty much the same thing. You walk around, you get your milk, you get your fruit, you leave. Is there a chain with an especially fervent fan base? There are a couple. I mean, Wegmans definitely has a very fervent fan base. H-E-B in Texas definitely is one of them. Do chains lose their fandom when they go national? It certainly loses a little of its luster. I think you're seeing that with Wawa right now, mm. which uh, not necessarily People like a big Wawa. grocery store. I love a Wawa, but it was more of a, yeah, like convenience store sandwich shop that was a, a Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania thing and now is expanding all the way up the East Coast. And I think you're seeing complaints of people saying that they're over expanding and the quality is declining. And that also Right. Maybe it makes it a little less special if you don't have to be in New Jersey or have to be in the Philly area to get a Wawa sandwich. That now Mm. you can be in Florida, you can be in New York, you can be sort Mm. of anywhere and get one. There's something to, though, the prepackaged goods of a specific grocery store. Like, 
The Whole Foods in Toronto that I grew up with had blackened chicken salad, which became a thing for my brother, for me and my brother. I think that's the big conversation around the public subs, right? Mm-hmm. That I've, um, I did not grow up with Publix. I've had a public subs. They're very good sandwiches. I don't think that they are particularly transcendent when compared to a lot of other deli subs that you can get. Right. But people really, if you grew up with that, that was your opportunity to get this sort of sandwich, and it was it was great. Um, so there's like a lot of nostalgia. I think there's a lot of nostalgia. In. I think there's a lot of, right, just reminding, if you don't live in the same place where you grew up, or if you do travel around a lot and are not always there, there is this sense of coming back to a place mm-hmm. of like, ah, yes, I went here with my family every week. My treat was getting... You know, the cookies here, the sandwich here, the blackened chicken salad mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. something right. like that. And it becomes part of like your identity too. Like yeah. I am a Floridian. I stand for public. Yeah. Like this is what makes me special. Yeah. And I think it winds up being a bit of a double edged thing because I think we all value local stores, we all value you know, regional specificity. I think a lot of people would find it very boring if we if Every single shopping experience was a national shopping experience. Mm-hmm. But then it also turns into sometimes if your sense of identity is very much aligned with a brand, that's something extremely outside of your control. So then I think that's how you get people being upset where like if a brand does expand and becomes national, then it becomes not just, oh, man, their quality dipped, but, oh, my goodness, this thing that I define myself by is now available to everybody, and it's not special anymore, and therefore, am I not special anymore? Right. Yeah, yeah. My, so whole- my my love of Wawa's and my identification as a Wawa's person means less now that you can get Wawa's Wawa food anywhere. anywhere. And therefore, my identity is a whole existential right. thing. Mm. <laughs> well, especially if you talk about like Whole Foods and Amazon, so now Amazon owns Whole Foods, and then you might be more conflicted about any identification with Whole Foods. Right, exactly. Um, And I think that, you know, I think you definitely saw this with Trader Joe's, too, when Mm -hmm. it it originated in California, I believe. Yeah. And then as that became a national brand, I think a lot of people saying, like, well, I was there first, and I was shopping at Whole Foods before you got, or at Trader Joe's before you got a Trader Joe's. Yeah. And, yeah, it just turns into this whole argument where, I understand it. I mm-hmm. I identify with things all the time, but at a certain point, you're like, "This is, yeah, it's a giant grocery. It's a giant grocery. <laughs> there are a few things that give me more pleasure relative to how unimportant they are in daily life than when someone's like, "I went to Trader Joe's long before you even knew what it was," and I'm just like, "I super don't care. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. But it's a store. It's a store." But. Uh, I think that there's also, in terms of like being attached to a grocery store, when you walk into a new grocery store, you often don't know where everything is. Yeah. So there is the logistics side of it, which is like, I'm much, I know I will be much more efficient in my home grocery store where I know Mm -hmm. where every aisle is and I know like where the express lanes are and which aisles are going to move better than others. And I just, I think that some of the, some of the commitment to your like home brand is because you know you'll be able to have an easier time navigating it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that becomes so embedded in the experience because again, this is a type of shopping that you do all the time. Um, you know, even if you're shopping for clothing and you have a favorite department store or favorite boutique or something, you're not there as often as you're in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, that just sort of inserts itself into your brain mm-hmm. immediately. And I even know, I mean, 
I live in New York. Uh, nice. I have a lot of grocery stores available to me. When I moved a couple blocks from my old apartment a few years ago, suddenly a different grocery store became the mm. closest one, mm. and it was a big learning curve. And now they just uh, redesigned. Oh, I love a grocery store renovation. Oh my Oof. gosh, it's so weird. Now they are they have gone the complete opposite, I think, of standard grocery store design where the first thing you see when you walk in is not the produce. Mm. Ah. It is a giant cake stand. Wow. And you get a bunch of pastries and gelato and pre-prepared stuff, and then behind that is the fruit. And I'm like, well, this is just too much. I feel like whenever a grocery store redesigns, I think, how was I even living before? Mm. (laughs) Because it always makes things slightly better. It does make things... You're like, what was I doing looking at apples as soon as I walked in? I could be looking at cake. Yeah, I know. What a world. There's cake and there's a hot bar and there's like the kombucha aisle. Oh my God. I was like, this is extraordinary. Oh, we're happy about this. I thought that that you were tapped into some greater grocery store philosophy, which is that they, they led with their produce and fresh veg and stuff so that you would think you were walking into like a, an oasis. No, I mean, that is what, what most people do. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. It is to They're give you the, the impression mm. of freshness and, mm-hmm. and things. Yeah. All sort of, uh, and then in the middle is all the processed foods and right. whatnot. But I sort of, appre- I mean, it was a bit jarring, but I sort of appreciate that my grocery store was like, nah, here's some cake. Yeah. <laughs> you just want the cake. That's you, you just want thing. Yeah. <laughs> Jaya, what is your favorite regional grocery chain? I don't know. I do remember growing up being very excited when my mom would take me to the Fine and Fair, Mm, which was a couple further blocks away from the Gristides, but the Fine and Fair had Tasty Cakes, Mm, mm -hmm. and that was like the Butterscotch Crimpets specific treat was really good. I think right now I I live near a grocery store called Trade Fair. Mm. uh, And I really like it because it has a huge aisle of just like bulk Indian spices. Mm. uh, And it has its own separate halal butcher counter where you can normally get even better quality meat than sort of in the regular aisle. And it's I I enjoy a New York grocery store that's all like little rabbit holes and and different little corners the yeah. big the big suburban aisles sort of freak me out yeah it's a little <laughs> intense yeah mm-hmm. you go to a kroger in the midwest and you're just like what i was just like is this is this? too big it's too bright i don't understand what's going on i like the <laughs> do the halal like... butchers talk shit about the irregular butchers in the grocery store <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i bet they do but there was yeah. one time i was walking through this grocery store and i felt like a tap on my back and i turned around and it was an entire skinned goat in mm. a grocery cart Tapping being pushed into the back <laughs> yeah. like it, you know just leg touched me and i'm like i love this this is oh great oh my god so, Daniel, a lot of the staffers here at Eater are obsessed with their favorite grocery stores. So we asked them to tell us why they are so special. My favorite regional grocery chain is H-Mart. Publix. My favorite national grocery chain is absolutely Trader Joe's. H-E-B will forever be a stop that I have to make every time I go home. I would say Wegmans is my favorite grocery store. There's something about going to Trader Joe's, having this wide variety of different things, like all under one name, that gives it this weird halo that makes me love it. Most of H Mart also comes with a restaurant. So like that's where people just kind of go and like eat Korean food and like create this kind of a Korean community hub. H-E-B is a very, very, very Texas grocery store. Started by the Butts family the in Texas. Butts family. The Butts family. One I, T or two? 
Two T's. Okay. Wow. Herbert E. Butts is H-E-B. Ah. Oh. As you know, we have Florida Man. Um, and I think Publix is really our saving grace, honestly. Well, the copy on the Wegman site says that it's supposed to look like a European open-air market. So there's that going on. So it's rated among like the top 10 companies in the U.S. to work for. All the, all the employees own stock in Publix, wow. which I think really lends to... They're just like generally happy to be there. The company is very famous for employing extremely friendly people to be stocking the aisles. What is your favorite item? Oh, that's actually hard. Kimchi, I have to say. There is like a whole designated section. Like it's beautiful to look at. It's just like a red ocean of Mm. deliciousness. The best thing about Publix is probably the pub subs. It's sandwiches from the deli, but they've become known as pub subs. Is it just a nostalgia thing or are they that good? They're that good. Honestly, I don't know that I have one favorite. I think I just like being there. It's more of like a state of mind, like the Wegmans vibe is what I like and desire. We'll be right back with the biggest stories of the week. It's time for the biggest stories of the week. We separate them with the sound of a ding like this. There was a sign a few days ago posted out on the door of an Arby's, the fast food chain, you know, we've got the meat. Yeah. Um, in Minnesota. Sorry, mm-hmm. I can't make. Last time I did the Minnesota accent, I got I was, in trouble for yeah, it. Yeah, I was upset. And people wrote You in. were not upset. I listened to it at home. I wasn't part of that episode. Ah. I listened to it at home and I was cringing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh-oh, we're going to get in trouble. And then we got some mail. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, just a quick note to all my all our Minnesota fans. I'm a I'm a Minnesota fan. You're doing it out of love, and yeah. I think as a Canadian, as a Canadian, I'm I feel like I'm allowed to do a Minnesota yeah, accent. You are. Anyway, uh, there was an Arby's in Minnesota that posted a sign on their door saying, "Only well-behaved children who can keep their food on their trays and their bottoms in on their seats are welcome. If you can't do this." You will be asked to leave. Yeah. Thanks. What do you think? <laughs> I think, what nerve? <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are, Arby's? Yeah. You're Arby's. <laughs> you're not even Wendy's. It's not even you're not even Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. You're not even you're not even on the spectrum of like Alinea where they're like, please don't bring your children here. Ooh. It's like you're Arby's. Yeah. Of course kids can't keep food on their trays. They're children. Yeah. The note should just say, if your kids make a mess, please clean up after them. Mm Because that's the bigger issue. Mm -hmm. They don't want to clean up after these kids. Maybe there was one incident. That's why I want to know. Like, what was the incident that really set off this store manager? Because this is obviously not an Arby's nationwide thing. Some store manager who's been there forever. There's some franchisee who's like, it's the last straw. Yeah. Well, what's the worst thing? I mean, a kid could just pick up everything and be throwing it. At other diners. Throwing food at other sure, diners yeah, would be yeah. bad. Like, I have a kid that's that age now where she will just throw shit on mm-hmm, the floor. Mm-hmm. Food. Like, it's a mess. She's a mess. Mm-hmm. And I clean up after her. Right. Because she's a mess. But she definitely wouldn't be able to follow this rule mm-hmm. of children who can keep food on their trays. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's impossible. So you, you would so never bring her I would not Arby's. go into this Arby's. <laughs> but, like, I would... You would imagine that children are accepted at other fast food establishments and they're used to this all the time. Yeah. You know what the worst thing is? I remember when I worked at Friendly's. Ah! Friendly's music. Friendly's music. My least favorite thing was when there was a kid with mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. There's, and fries are better. Fries are so much better. Mac and cheese. And it was carpeted. All carpeted. Oh. 
And you had this weird device that would like, it was like this handheld carpet cleaner thing that would kind of just try to suck up the chunks of food. It was just always disgusting. You just had to get out down there with like wet rags and so gross. Yeah. So gross. Yeah. But also I understood like (laughs) that was just part of the deal. We were a friendly family restaurant. People brought their kids. It was my job. To like get that mac and cheese up off the carpet. That's how it works. Imagine someone putting that sign up on a Chuck E. Cheese, you know? Well, that's a little different because they are just for kids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Arby's, I mean, the the whole genre of fast food is like, it's family friendly, right. supposedly. Yeah. Um, not this one. No. No. I actually got uh, an email late last night to ask me to go on some TV show today to talk about the story Whoa! alongside a mother of four. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Yes. What does that mean? Why Why? Uh, why do you add such emphasis to alongside a mother of four? Well, like, it's like, let's get the food expert right. and the mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, we'll talk about this controversial issue. <laughs> I think the thing is, it's just like, this is a one-off, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. This is not a policy. <laughs> this is some frustrated person. Right. Who got access to the printer? What about bringing? What about putting a sign on airplanes to be like, "No screaming babies"? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's just part of life. That is that is the society we live in. Daniel, mm. many cities are now banning gas stoves in new buildings. Yeah, and making buildings have electric stoves. And I was thinking that <laughs> as a trained cook, oh yeah, and a cooking enthusiast, you might have a thought about this. What well, if you had to have an electric stove in your kitchen? I do have an electric. I do have a gas stove, but I grew up on the electric stove game. So because I, Canada, because Canada, yeah, it's hard. Um, and obviously, for the first point here is the, the gas stove is ten times better than the electric stove, unless you get one of those dinky gas stoves that's just like one little flame. You know, those are almost sad. Sure. Ugh, those are like showers with low pressure. It's just tragic. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I was used to electric. And like anything, when you're used to something worse and then you're given the better thing, it's the greatest. But I, I think that for me there was something about cooking at home that was like electric. And then when I got the gas here in New York, it was like Ooh. mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, Isn't it nice to just turn it down just a little? It, and immediately. And immediately. Immediately happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you have a really powerful air conditioning unit in a small room. It's yeah. like you switch the button and you're like, it's a degree warmer in here yeah. or a degree cold. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know what? It's life-changing cooking-wise. But I will say mm-hmm. I do like the idea that like the electric stove is the home thing and the gas is like – The restaurant thing? Yeah, because that it adds a little bit of separation between the home and the restaurant, <laughs> which – So restaurants have this nice advantage A little bit cooks. of a leg up. Yeah, because you know what I hate? Have you ever – do you ever do this – have you ever been out with people and they're like, this is good, but I could make it at home? Sure. Yep. It's not a useful critique and of a you, dish. And you think now with... If not they with have... electric. <laughs> with <laughs> no, electric, you, you can't. Not with electric. What about people who make like, I don't know, roasting an eggplant or a pepper on the gas? Yeah. Is that not a thing? Like, I do that. Sure. I mean, that's a I guess thing. you could... You but that's a thing, but... Uh, How would you do that? Blowtorch. I mean, I use a blowtorch anyway. Everybody's got to get a blowtorch. I mean, a blowtorch, for how dangerous it feels, I've never heard of any blowtorch accidents. Like, blowtorches make you feel like you're really honing some powerful entity. 
but you know what? They're How pretty often safe. Do, you use your do blow- I blowtorch yeah. a lot? Really? I probably blowtorch three to four You're times like a week. You're like the one person. Yeah, I come home. I mean, it's, do you have it, a Searsol? I do have a Searsol. Okay, but I have. I'm mean, not I, one of those like dinky, no, like full, creme brulee things. No, my my blowtorch is the size of a fire extinguisher. Frankly, okay. I feel great pretty to powerful because I feel like a lot of people probably <laughs> buy. Great to hear. <laughs> I think a lot of people buy those things and then they sit around and you use it once and it's like fuck. Yeah. Uh, most, but you know, now that everyone's going to get electric stoves. Oh, the blowtorch market is going to let's invest. Mm-hmm. Huge opportunity in the blowtorch market right now. But uh, what what are they saying? Why do they why are they banning the gas? Just because natural know, it's- gas produces thirty three percent of U S carbon dioxide emissions. Well, the blowtorch thing isn't going to solve that. No, but it's not regulated. No, it's so sure you can isn't. get around it. Yeah. Um, Right now, it's so it's not it's about people mostly, burning down their houses. No, it's mostly going to happen in California. Yeah, uh, thirteen cities in one county have adopted these new building codes. Mm-hmm. Berkeley, of course, was the first city in the nation to prohibit gas in all new buildings. Um, so, everybody in Middle America and probably the East Coast is safe for a while. So this is an emissions thing. Yeah, just an emissions thing. Yeah, it's a you know global warming situation. Right. Versus a safety thing. You know what? It's a big day for restaurants. I'll I'll keep it at that. <laughs> well, yeah, and they do. Get an exemption. Restaurants. Restaurants in California get an exemption. Well, I hope so. Yeah. So they would, yeah, they would be up in arms if not. Oh. All right. There was a, a piece that came up on the New York Post yesterday called How Chicken Parm Became NYC's Aphrodisiac of Choice. Yep. We've got Rebecca Jennings, reporter for the goods, back in the studio because. Uh, dating expert. Well, dating expert, <laughs> internet oh, expert. <laughs> internet expert. <laughs> What's going on here is on the dating app hinge which we've talked about before on this program, Mm -hmm. Um, you get the opportunity to choose prompts for yourself. So on your profile, under a picture, it would be like, question, my last meal would be dot, 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 and then you fill in the blanks. And this post is claiming that the new trend in that answer for bros is like, my mom's chicken parm or chicken Chicken parm. parm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they dub them chicken parm bros. Chicken yeah. parm bros. And this is new, you know, Rebecca, you've wrote exten- you've written extensively about how girls like to say tacos yeah. and tacos are the new pizza yeah. and mm-hmm. how like the food answer of choice is evolving constantly on yeah. this platform. Um, so have you seen the chicken parm bro phenomenon? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have absolutely seen people talk about chicken parm on their dating apps. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was going to be taken out and be this thing that is worthy of a New York post write up. Right. That's that's surprising to that's me. That's a high honor. <laughs> it is a high honor, but I also think that part of the reason why is because a lot of the people that they talk to in the article are like from Hoboken and presumably have eaten chicken parm like their whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's Right. <laughs> So totally acceptable, totally acceptable. (laughs) Right. Um, I'm just going to throw out some assertions. Yeah. I think that in the past, something like a very carby kind of gluttonous dish like chicken parm Mm -hmm. would not be cool on there. But now it's hitting its stride and people are like carb signaling. Yes. Is, mm-hmm. Oh, that's exactly what's happening. Okay. It's carb signaling. And is that a term that you just made up yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. It's really good. <laughs> no, it's it's similar to how people talk about tacos because like they're not exactly healthy and they sort of mean that you're like a little bit cultured mm-hmm. in like a some kind of weird way. Yeah. But it's also like, yeah, I'm ha- I have fun like and I eat like pizza and tacos and chicken parm or whatever, but also look at my picture of how cute I am. I'm like so I still cute, look but I like could... that. I can right. totally eat chicken yeah. parm. It's the dream. 
Wow, yeah. scarfing in a scarf. And is the yeah is <laughs> the winter terrible. playing a role here? Ooh. Oh, I totally think so. That's it's like who call. wants chicken parm in August? Um, I think it's it's the cozy season. It's time to just like. Well, it's cuffing season also. Mm. So the I was going to ask are, if that's still a thing people say. Yeah, I think it is. I think it, like wanting to have someone to snuggle with in the winter is is forever. Um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting about this is how many people dragged it on Twitter being like, this is made up. Like, this is a thing. Like, have you ever tried to have sex after eating chicken parm? Like, and, and especially because they use the phrase aphrodisiac, yeah. which is that's, false. That was questionable to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, maybe it's your hook in. But yeah. Chicken parm is pretty heavy. It's extremely heavy. It's something that you want to take a nap after, yeah. not you know anything else. I think there is something interesting about the food choice that people are making on these apps because I think what's gonna what happens here is one guy probably from Hoboken wrote chicken parm and then saw a disproportionate amount of responses on that. <laughs> prompt mm -hmm. of girls being like, oh, I love chicken parm or yeah. like, oh, you'd cook me chicken parm or whatever it was. And then that guy told all his bros. All his Hoboken <laughs> bros. Yeah, well, for sure. And then it just slowly spreads outwards as like the answer that's working well for the bros right now. And Do then people talk about that, like what they put as their prompt and how it's working. For sure. Do groups of guys talk about that? I think it would be more like, not like a text group thing, but like a one-on-one -on -one if you like looked at another guy's profile yeah. and you uh, saw a silly, okay. uh, like a, a okay. specific answer, yeah. be like, oh, how's that one doing for you? Interesting. And they'd be like, oh yeah, dude gets crazy responses. People love, girls <laughs> I'm not, love chicken parm. You know what? I'm, yeah, I'm so stubborn that I would never use someone else's thing. Like I couldn't enjoy, well, yeah. Be yeah. you. Well, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> I use other people's pictures, but just not. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, uh, so look out for chicken parm as a new signal yeah. of sophistication and also rusticness, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Rebecca, we will have you back in April to tell us what the spring food of choice is Hell on yeah. the dating oh, apps. Quick, quick fire question for you. Yeah. You're a good girlfriend of yours is talking to you and saying, hey, Rebecca, if you had to suggest a food for a girl to be like, that's the best food I would want to see on a guy's on a guy's, on a guy's profile. Yeah. What is the right level of sophistication and also not trying to be a snob? You know, <laughs> oof. It's so as we've talked about this, like yeah. it's so fraught choosing a food item. Yeah. Um, because no matter what you say, it either comes off as really snobby or really basic. Yeah. Um, Sushi kind of walks the line a little bit. Yeah, but if Are you, you just say saying sushi, that because it's yours? No, I would never say, say that. But if you say sushi on a dating app, you're like, That's... what is this, like 1997? Like, you think sushi is like a cool thing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, I was suggesting like, one that I see a lot. If you say sushi, you have to say, like, what kind of sushi? Like, get specific, like, where do you eat it? Like, sure. what's your thing? Um, so if you, su if your sushi girl, can seem really snobby. I yeah. know. So you would rather some guy said like, "What's your favorite place to eat nigiri?" Like that would <laughs> no. I'm no, so, I would. They should I'm, just no. say tacos. No, man. I think. I think <laughs> honestly, just say honestly what your favorite food is, and I also mm. think that's a terrible dating app question to answer. Even though like I have heard that it gets a lot of good responses, I just think it tells you nothing about the person. But even if they're like. Scandinavian like uh, you know German what? food. You know what? I guess I if they talk about Borscht. cheese plates and charcuterie boards, I'd be like, all right. Wow. But that okay. is going to be that. This is going to start the wave now. Sorry. Right. Well, let's see how it works. <laughs> Dean Foods, who you may not know by name, mm -hmm. but you would recognize as like the most famous milk jug 
the like very much the convenience store milk jug. Uh-huh. They have gone under while they've declared bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. You know, big companies declare bankruptcy a lot. This is not a unique thing in the business space. But I think it is, It to me, it is a signal of, you know, we always have these conversations like, oh, oat milk is killing it right now. All these plant-based milks are, seem to be such a part of our lives, but it's like, is this just a New York, L.A. thing, mm-hmm. or is this really having a dent or making a dent mm-hmm. on the milk industry? And yeah. it, it is. Their, their sales are down 7%. Their stock is down 80%. I think it's alt milks, but also this idea of you needing to drink a certain number of glasses of milk a day is out of favor. Like when I was growing up, I used to drink milk with every meal. Right. uh, And my kids don't do that. Yeah. And like my husband who came from Venezuela, he never did that. He was like, why would you guys drink Mm -hmm. milk with dinner? That's so friggin' weird. Weird, yeah. And I wonder if that was just advertising or lobbying or some famous doctor here in the States that projected this as a good idea, but three glasses of milk a day for a kid is definitely no longer the recommendation. No. Uh, You know, that's just the work of the milk lobby and and the big milk industry getting good ads in. But Amanda, listen, you seem to me an incredibly healthy person. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This reminds me so much of when I was in school, Mm -hmm. the, the big strong guy in our class James Knowles was always not a big, didn't hit the gym a lot, but was in great shape and, uh, you know, was bigger than most people. Uh Drank a lot of milk? Drank a lot of milk. (laughs) And frankly, it took me a long time reading papers, reading studies to debunk the James Knowles effect. Mm, Like, I mm -hmm. would just be slamming milk, reading (laughs) stories about how you shouldn't be drinking milk because James Knowles crushed milk. Well, that was a lot of their advertising campaign I remember growing up. Yeah. Was like, I think it was like a kid. No, a kid looking in the mirror Mm -hmm. at their future self. And they were like big and strong. And it was because they were drinking so much milk. Yeah. I think uh, it's really about the calcium and you get that through other dairy or supplements. Sure. But like if if kids are eating yogurt or cheese or whatever, you don't also need to be drinking a ton of milk. So I just think it's alt milk plus changes in habit. The global market for milk alternatives is expected to top $18 billion this year, which is up 3.5% from 2018, uh, which is a you know a spike, but not actually as, as big as I thought. The traditional milk market will come in under $120 billion globally this year. Oat milk, which is, of course, the darling of the alt milk industry, um, is doing $53 million, did $53 million over the last year, which uh, is up 636%. But $53 million, you know, I would have uh, just, again, New York bubble. New York coffee shop bubble would have mm-hmm. thought they were doing $10 billion a year. <laughs> um, you know what, what's interesting about this to me, and uh, let's drift back into the realm of perception and not hard fact, but it's interesting and in just kind of getting getting the taking the temperature of these different in, of these different industries. It seems like even though people are still actively fighting for beef and for for uh, animal protein as like a, a crucial part of the diet, it seems like the war over dairy and as you were saying milk is is lost mm-hmm. right like no i never hear anyone say like you know you should really be drinking more milk or like those kids should be drinking milk but still you do get a lot of people talking about eating meat so uh, milk, as a health thing like yeah, as a health, more meat yeah, like, exactly yeah. good source of protein on this subject a quick note about impossible foods 
Uh-huh. Uh, and that is that Bear Burger, obviously a limited sample size because I think there's about 20 Bear Burgers in mm-hmm. New York City. Um, I've been into a couple of them recently, and I talked to someone who said that Impossible Burger at Bear Burger, which is like this carnivore heaven. They have bison and elk and beef mm-hmm, and all this mm-hmm, grass-fed. Mm-hmm. They said that Impossible Burgers are outselling the rest of their burgers combined. Wow. Yeah. Burger King just announced three new Impossible Whoppers. Mm-hmm. I had my first one last night. Yeah. You know what? Like, who knew that the home, the real home of the Impossible Burger was in the Whopper because that thing tastes like a Whopper. Uh, anecdotally, my sister... Who's anecdotally? A, get that out of here. Okay. Just kidding. So my sister, who's been a vegetarian for decades, yeah. is now going to Burger King all the time Whoa! because they have the impossible, and her yeah. husband loves Burger King, so Whoa. they get to now go to Burger King so together. So it's saving the marriage? It's it's not hurting it, that's Ooh, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Look at Burger King go. Look at Burger King go. That is the plant-based portion of this podcast. <laughs> so Daniel, this week my husband was out of town in Los Angeles. And we share a credit card, but I never look at it. Um, but now, because so many operations have Square that emails you credit card receipts, mm-hmm. I got emails every time he was out spending money using our credit card, <laughs> which is fine. Like, there's nothing sketchy going on. It was just weird to get these emails. And it reminded me of something that was happening a couple months ago when <laughs> I was getting your credit card receipts. Yeah. Basically, we were getting coffee together. You paid for it, but thank, walked away. Welcome. So yeah. thank you. It was very nice of you. I signed and just like I wasn't thinking and put in my email address for the receipt. Yeah. And then forever, it just decided that that was your email address. Mm-hmm. So like you would go out at night and I would get Raging. these emails from Square <laughs> like being like, here's your morning. receipt from this club in Bushwick. Okay. Then I thought like, oh my God, what happened to my, did someone steal my credit card? Like what's going on? And then I realized it was you. Yeah. And so for like a week, I would just be getting these little notes. I mean, you knew like, it was This is me. where Daniel is. You knew it was me from the get go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as I saw the Bushwick thing, I thought like, what the, the Bushwick thing's real? I thought you were just making that up as a No, no, no. It was a bar in Bushwick. I don't yeah. think it was a club. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then it was like, here's Daniel's chicken bowl from Honey Brains. Yeah. And it was too intimate. It was way too the first time you you forwarded me one of the emails and it was from Honey Brains, which is of course the neuroscience based <laughs> cafe in NoHo. And you were like, I shouldn't be seeing this. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, you love it. Yeah. You don't mind being tracked, I guess. I don't mind being tracked. I don't mind my, well, first of all, I have the unique advantage of there's really nothing I could spend, well, certainly credit card money on Uh that I would be embarrassed by. Like, even like, like you were fine with a colleague just seeing everywhere you're eating. Yeah. The only thing that's embarrassing about it is just the quantity. Not you mean that one chicken bowl at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday, or just Brains? like chicken bowl at Honey Brains, and then like sixty dollars at Atla on nothing, and then like you know eleven like, p.m. What a frivolous like, lifestyle. Yeah, like needs. ninety crepes. Um, but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to Hooters. Oh, you know, like 90 crepes. what would you do? I'm not gonna go to Hooters. I, I think, don't know where else I could go. What I think Hooters. you did is you after a week you either switched credit cards yeah. or like entered in a new email address. Yeah, so I stopped getting them. But I, I never think changed in it. retrospect, what you could have done yeah. is, like, pranked me and For just sure. gone to weirder and weirder places weirder and weirder until I'm like, places. are you okay? Yeah. What could I have even done? I mean, I would I have had know. to have gone to the places, though. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> pretty elaborate prank for not much yes. payoff. That, uh, yeah, the actual... Can I just tell you when you said your husband, where where did he go again? L.A. In, when, I, when, you say, when you said he was in L.A., the first thing that came to mind, too, was Hooters. I was <laughs> like, and he just spent <laughs> so much money at Hooters. Hooters. It was so weird. <laughs> I mean, if someone went to Hooters, mul- like one time, it'd be Hooters like, would be worse than like a strip club. Way worse. Like, Especially a doing? second time at Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> Hooters is such a relic of the past. It really is. And you know, people, you talk to them and they're like, you know, the wings there are actually like pretty good. Like, you know, there are other places to get. Yeah, there wings. are great wings all over the place. There are great wings all over the place. But um, I'm just trying to think of like, I think for you, I would do. There aren't, you know what? There frankly aren't enough neuroscience cafes. There aren't enough yeah. place with like adaptogen smoothies where it's going, you're going to see it on the receipt. Cause like all those places are called, you know, um, like integrity cafe or whatever. I guess yeah. integrity I cafe. I think the thing is also you're so upfront about your idiosyncrasies yeah. that there's not a lot that would be surprising. I think that is a nice feature of me, which is just <laughs> that there is nothing. Once you, but, you know, you talk to me for five minutes and then yeah. there's nothing below the surface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, uh, end of day, though. It is a little. Surface level. <laughs> it is a little intense just thinking about how. Yeah. They'll just send your send your receipts and all these things. They will. And I mean, I think it's a fact like it has demystified or I think made the restaurant experience a little bit too real. Even when you get um, because like my Amex is hooked up to my Apple Pay Mm -hmm. and I'll be at nice. Like if I go to I went to a nice restaurant recently where my bill ended up being like one hundred and eighty and I thought it was going to be less. And I paid the bill I gave my card and I'm a, a bozo as well and I never look at the bill I'm always just like oh here can I give you a card Jesus. because I think <laughs> I just think it's classy it saves a step yeah maybe I get billed for an extra you know broccoli rob oh my God. once or twice what? wait you always look at the bill of course of course I always look at the bill what's the worst thing that's ever happened I think your time is more valuable than looking no. at the bill. No. Sometimes you get charged <laughs> no. for the wrong thing. But like how much? Not like a full like if the it bill It could is... be that they like added someone's whole meal on by mistake. That's then, not that... Then you get it taken off. When? I've if you're not always... looking at the bill. At, at the end at when the you're end? signing the thing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes like 30 seconds. I know, but that opening the thing and being like, just checking you, just checking your work here feels very... No one is judging you I, for that. Well, no I, one is like, oh my God, oh, what, what a, a cheap jump. State. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I was just saying, so now you go and you give your Amex and then, your Amex, you go and you give your Amex. But you get, a, I got a, get a notification on my phone being like, Amex, cha-ching, like 180. And I'm like, I, you know what? It doesn't feel as severe when it's all pen and paper action. Sure, sure, sure. The second you you're seeing yeah. it like, heads up display like you just lost $180 from over on the other side mm-hmm. of the room it's like it, it's too it's too much it's too blunt you can just okay? turn off your push notifications I don't I like to know I like to be faced with reality okay frankly it, it's, unless it's didn't. in the form of <laughs> seeing what menu items you ordered yeah so you always look at it I can't believe that's <laughs> yes have you ever done that being like let me just give you a card what about for two drinks at a bar? I would maybe do it if do you realize? I'm really late yeah. for something. I need to get yeah. out of there. I'm like, can you just take my card? Yeah. But like, 
emergencies only. Right. In other news, it just I'm seems usually financially irresponsible <laughs> right. of you. If this is just your way of being, no, it, it saves it saves probably five minutes. Five minutes every time, especially at a sit down restaurant. They go, they print it off, they <laughs> drop it, they look at it. It's like a whole. It's like imagine if you could skip ordering. Ah, ordering's part of the magic, though. <laughs> I'm just saying it's like a full third or fourth act that I am saving. You know what? I want to. I'm going to figure it out. I'm. I, I. I've probably got an extra year of time on this planet from and not an extra five hundred dollars of things they've secretly charged you for over a lifetime. <laughs> I'll take over it over a year. <laughs> okay, okay, made me think. You know, right, you're, you, frankly, you're you right. You do you. That's good. I'm open, honest, transparent. Ask me anything. <laughs> I, there's nothing I won't tell you. Email digestateater.com if you have thoughts. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Eater's Digest. If you like the show, please tell a friend. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please send us an email at digest at eater.com. Remember, if you have any Thanksgiving disaster stories, record a voice memo and send it to us, digest at eater.com. Uh, special thanks to Jaya Saxena, Aaron DeJesus, James Park, Patty Diaz, Emma Alpern, Megan McCarran, and our producer, Martha Daniel. See you again next week. <laughs>